Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. Now, before we begin today, don't panic too much, but this is the last episode of LeVar Burton Reads for the season. Yikes. But, but the good news is we'll be back for another season before you know it. So let's enjoy another fantasy tale, shall we? This one comes from the Filipino author Dean Francis Alfar, and it's called The Kite of Stars. Now, Dean is a playwright. He's a novelist and a writer of speculative fiction living in Manila. And the setting of this story is extremely unique. We are familiar with many invented Western worlds, places in sci-fi and fantasy tales that have some elements of, say, medieval Europe. And what Dean and a collection of other artists and writers did, and I think this is so incredibly cool, is they created their own uniquely Filipino fantasy setting in which to place their art and comics and write stories. It's called Hinirang, and it's a reimagined version of the Philippines set during the time when the country was a colony of Spain. Hinirang comes from the Tacolog phrase, Lupang Hinirang, land longed for. Dean and his colleagues describe it as a place to learn about cultural heritage without it feeling like research or academic work, a place where Philippine folklore can be reimagined. As Nikki Alfar puts it, we can create from a number of inspirations, the Spaniards, the Katao natives, the Filipinos, the magical South, the monsters and mystical people against a rich geographical background. So some of the words you'll hear may feel familiar, but the names, places, food, clothing will sometimes be an invented combination of several languages. And you don't need to try and sort out what they are or what they mean in order to enjoy the story. So if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. 
begin. L'Aquilon du Estrellas, The Kite of Stars, by Dean Francis Alfar. The night when she thought she would finally be a star, Maria Isabella Dulcielo struggled to calm the trembling of her hands, reached over to cut the tether that tied her to the ground, and thought of that morning many years before when she'd first caught a glimpse of Lorenzo Duvesenzio y Salvadore. Tall, thick-browed, and handsome. His eyes closed, oblivious to the cacophony of the accident waiting to occur around him. Maria Isabella had just turned 16 then, and each set of her padrinos had given her, along with the sequined Brida du Caballo, the dresses of rare tulle, organza, and seda, and the diadema floral duldama, the requisite floral circlet of young womanhood, a purse filled with coins to spend on anything she wanted. And so she'd gone past the Calle du Leones, where sleek cats of various pedigrees sometimes allowed themselves to be purchased, though, if so, only until they tired of their new owners. Walked through the Avenida del Conquistadores, where statues of the conquerors of Ciudad Mayor lined the entirety of the broad promenade, and made her way to the Encanto Lu Caminata, that maze-like series of interconnected streets, each leading to some wonder or marvel for sale. Where little musical conch shells from the islets near Palau'an could be found, those she liked very much. In the vicinity of the Plaza Imperial, she saw a young man dressed in a coat embroidered with stars walk almost surely to his death. In that instant, Maria Isabella knew two things with the conviction reserved only for the very young. First, that she almost certainly loved this reckless man. And second, that if she simply stepped on a dog's tail, the very dog watching the same scene unfold right next to her, she could avert the man's seemingly senseless death. These were the elements of the accident waiting to happen. An ill-tempered horse hitched to some noble's calesa, an equally ill-tempered calesa driver with a whip, a whistling panadero with a tray of plump pan du sal perched on his head, two puddles of fresh rainwater brought about by a brief downpour earlier that day, a sheet of stained glass en route to its final delivery destination at the house of the most excellent primo orador, a broken bottle of wine, and, of course, the young man who walked with his eyes closed. Without a moment's further thought, Maria Isabella stepped on the tail of the dog that was resting near her. The poor animal yelped in pain, which in turn startled the horse, making it stop temporarily 
which in turn angered the Kalesa driver even more, making him curse the horse, which in turn upset the delicate melody that the panadero was whistling, which in turn made the panadero miss stepping into the two puddles of rainwater which, in turn, gave the men delivering the sheet of stained glass belonging to the most excellent primo orador an uninterrupted path, which, in turn, gave the young man enough room to cross the street without so much as missing a beat or stepping onto the broken wine bottle, which, in turn, would never give him the infection that had been destined to result in the loss of his right leg and, ultimately... His life. Everyone and everything continued to move on their own inexorable paths, and the dog she had stepped on growled once at her and then twisted around to nurse its sore tail. But Maria Isabella's eyes were on the young man in the star embroidered coat whose life she had just saved. She decided she would find out who. He was. The first 20 people, she asked, did not know him. It was a butcher's boy who told her who he was. As she rested near the butcher's shop along the Rotunda dul Vendedores. His name is Lorenzo Duvesencio, the butcher's boy said. I know him because he shops here with his father once every sen night. My master saves some of the choicest cuts for their family. They're rather famous, you know. Maestro Vincenzo, the father, names stars. Stars? Maria Isabella asked. And would you know why he walks with his eyes closed? The sun, I mean. Well, Lorenzo certainly isn't blind, the butcher's boy replied. I think he keeps his eyes closed to preserve his vision for his stargazing at night. He mentioned he had some sort of telescope he uses at night. How can I meet him? she asked, all thoughts of musical conch shells gone from her mind. You? What makes you think he will even see you? Listen, the butcher's boy whispered to her. He only has eyes for the stars. Then I'll make him see me, she whispered back. And as she straightened up, her mind began to make plan upon plan upon plan, rejecting possibilities, making conjectures, assessing what she knew, whom she knew, and how much she dared. It was a lot for anyone to perform in the span of time it took to set her shoulders, look at the butcher's boy, and say... Take me to the best kite maker. The butcher's boy, who, at 14, was easily impressed by young ladies of a certain disposition, immediately doffed his white cap, bowed to Maria Isabella, gestured to the street filled with people outside, and led her to the house of Melcor Antivades. Famed throughout Ciudad Mayora and environs as the master builder of Aquilones, Cometas, Sarangola, and other artifactos voladores. They waited 
seven hours to see him. For such was his well-deserved fame that orders from all over the realms came directly to him for festivals, celebrations, consecrations, funerals, regatta launches, and such, and did not speak to each other. Maria Isabella was thinking hard about the little plan in her head, and the butcher's boy was thinking of how he had just lost his job for the dubious pleasure of a silent young woman's company. He spent most of the time looking surreptitiously at her shod feet and oddly wondering whether she, like the young ladies that figured in his fantasies, painted her toes blue in the manner of circus artistas. When it was finally their turn, for such was the nature of Melchor Antivares that he made time to speak to anyone and everyone who visited him, being of humble origin himself, Maria Isabella explained what she wanted to the artisan. What I need, she began, is a kite large enough to strap me onto. Then I must fly high enough to be among the stars themselves so that anyone looking at the stars will see me among them. And I must be able to wave at least one hand to that person. What you need, Melchor Antivades replied with a smile, is a balloon or someone else to love. She ignored his latter comment and told him that a balloon simply would not do. It would not be able to achieve the height she needed. Didn't he understand that she needed to be among the stars? He cleared his throat and told her that such a kite was impossible. That there was no material immediately available for such an absurd undertaking. That there was, in fact, no design that allowed for a kite that supported the weight of a person. And that it was simply impossible, impossible, impossible. Impossible to design, impossible to find materials. No, no, it was impossible even for the illustrados. She pressed him then for answers, to think through the problem. She challenged him to design such a kite and to tell her just what these impossible materials were. Conceivably, I could dream of such a design, that much I'll grant you. If I concentrate hard enough, I, I know it will come to me, that much I'll concede, but uh, the materials are, are another matter. Please tell me what I need to find, Maria Isabella said. None of it can be bought, and certainly none of it can be found here in Ciudad Mayora. Although wonder can be found here if you know where to look. Tell me. And so he began to tell her. Sometime. During the second hour of his recitation of the list of materials, she began to take notes and nudged the butcher's boy to try to remember what she couldn't write fast enough. At dawn, the following day, Melkor Antivades stopped speaking, reviewed the list of necessary things compiled by Maria Isabella and the butcher's boy, and said, 
I think that's all I'd need. As you can see, it is more than any man could hope to accomplish. But I am not a man, she said to him, looking down at the thousands of items on the impossible list in her hands. The butcher's boy, by this time, was asleep, his head cradled in the crook of his thin arms, dreaming of aerialists and their blue toes. Melkor Antivades squinted at her. Is any love worth all this effort, looking for the impossible? Maria Isabella gave the tiniest of smiles. What makes you think I'm in love? Melkor Antivades raised his eyebrow at her denial. I'll get everything, she promised the kite maker. But it may take a lifetime to gather everything, the artisan said wearily. A lifetime is all I have, Maria Isabella told him. She then shook the butcher's boy awake. I cannot go alone. You're younger than me, but I will sponsor you as my companion. Will you come with me? Of, of course, mumbled Butcher's Boy drowsily. After all, this shouldn't take more time than I have to spare. It may be significantly longer than you think, the artisan said, shaking his head. Then, please, Sir Antivades, dream the design, and I'll have everything you listed when we return. She stood to leave. That very day, Maria Isabella told her parents and both sets of her padrinos that she was going off on a long trip. She invoked her right of verdumundo, when women of at least 16 years and men of at least 20 years could go forth into the wideness of Hinarang, sometimes to seek their fortune, sometimes to run from it. They all gave their blessings, spoke fondly of how she used to dance and sing as a child, saluted her new right as a woman and full citizen of Ciudad Mayora, accompanied her all the way to the Portun du Transgressiones with more recalled memories of her youth, and sent her on her way. As for the butcher's boy, he waited until she was well away, and then joined her on the well-worn path, the Sendero del Viajero, along with the supplies she had asked him to purchase. I'm ready to go, the butcher's boy grinned at her. He was clad in a warm tunic in the manner of city folk, and around his neck, for luck, he wore an animahat, a wooden charm fashioned in the form of a wheel. What did you tell your kinfolk? Maria Isabella asked him, that as he helped her mount a sturdy horse. That I would be back in a month or so? It took almost 60 years for Maria Isabella and the butcher's boy to find all the items on Melkor Antivaris's impossible list. 
The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nuh-uh. Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm. Sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash hi. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at after the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Now, let's get back to our story. They began at Pur Anand and then trekked to Katakios and Viriato, where the sanctuary of the first tree stood unmolested by time. They traveled north to the lands of Bontoc and Karabokis, where the Povo Mantaha dwelt in seclusion. They sailed eastwards to Palaoan and the Islas dul Kalamian where the traders from countries across the seas converged in a riot of tongues. They ventured westwards to the dark lands of the Siki Jor and Jomal Jing, where the Silent Ones kept court whenever both sun and moon occupied the same horizon. They visited the fabled cities of the south, Dia Al-Tandag, Dia al-Din and Dia al-Bajau, where fire-shrouded jinn and the Teak Barang waged an endless war of attrition. They entered the marbled underworld of the sea lords of Rumblon and braved the lair of the Marin Duque, in whose house the dead surrendered their memories of light and laughter. When they ran out of money, after the third year of travel, Maria Isabella and the butcher's boy spent time looking for ways to finance their quest. 
She began knowing only how to ride, dance, sing, play the arpa, the violin, and the flauta, embroider, sew, and write poetry about love. The butcher's boy began knowing how to cut up a cow. By the time they had completed the list, they had more than quintupled the amount of money they began with, and they both knew how to manage a caravan, run a plantation, build and maintain 14 kinds of seagoing and river-going vessels, raise horses, big and small, and fowl, dogs, and seagulls, recite the entire annals of six cultures from memory, speak and write 19 languages, prepare medicine for all sorts of ailments, worries, and anxieties, make flash powder, Lu Fuego du Ladron and Picaro du Fuegos Artificiales. Make glass, ceramics, and lenses from almost any quality sand and many, many other means of making money. In the seventh year of the quest, a dreadful storm destroyed their growing caravan of found things and they lost almost everything. She clutched vainly at things as they flew and spun in the downpour of wind and water, and the butcher's boy fought to keep the storm from taking her away as well. It was the last time that Maria Isabella allowed herself to cry. The butcher's boy took her hand, and they began all over again. They were beset by thieves and learned to run out of houses and caves and temples, on roads and on sea lanes and in gullies, on horses, aguilas, and waves. They encountered scoundrels and sinvergüenza and learned to bargain, at first with various coins, jewels, and metal, and later with promises, threats, and dreams. They were beleaguered by nameless things in nameless places, and learned to defend themselves, first with wooden pisol, then later with Chris, Giavelletto, and Lamina. In their thirtieth year together, they took stock of what they had, referred to the thousands of items still left unmarked on their list, exchanged a long, silent look filled with immeasurable meaning, and went on searching for the components of the impossible kite, acquiring the dowel by planting a lunca seed at the foot of the grove of a kindly diuata, and waiting the seven years it took to grow, unable to leave, winning the lower spreader in a drinking match against the three eldest brothers of Duma alone, assembling the pieces of the lower edge connector while fleeing a war party of the Sumalik. Solving the riddles of the toothless crone I I Sin to find what would be part of a wingtip. Climbing Apo Amang to spend 70 sleepless nights to get the components of the ferrule. Crafting an artificial wave to fool the Serena into surrendering their locks of hair that would form a portion of the tether. Rearing miniature horses trade to the duende for parts of the bridle, and finally, spending 
18 years painstakingly collecting the 15,000 different strands of thread that would make up the Aquilon's surface fabric. When, at last, they returned to Ciudad Mayora, both stooped and older, they paused briefly at the gates of the Portun du Transgresiones. The butcher's boy looked at Maria Isabella and said, Well, here we are, at last. She nodded, raising a weary arm to her forehead and making the sign of homecoming. Do you feel like you've wasted your life? She asked him as the caravan bearing everything they had amassed lumbered into the city. Nothing is ever wasted, the butcher's boy told her. They made their way to the house of Melkor Antivades and knocked on his door. A young man answered them and sadly informed them that the wizened artisan had died many, many years ago, and that he... Reuel Antivades was the new Maestro du Cosas Ingravidas. Yes, yes, but do you still make kites? Maria Isabella asked him. Uh, kites? Of course. From time to time, someone wants an aquilon or... Before Sir Antivades, Melkor Antivades, died, did he leave instructions for a very special kind of kite? She interrupted. Well, mumbled Reuel Antivades, my great-grandfather did leave a design for a young woman named Maria Isabella Dulcielo, but I am she. She ignored his shocked face. Listen, young man, I have spent all my life gathering everything Melkor Antivades said we needed to build my kite. Everything is outside. Build it. And so, Reuel Antivades unearthed the yellowing parchment that contained the design of the impossible kite that Melkor Antivades had dreamed into existence, referenced the parts from the list of things handed to him by the butcher's boy, and proceeded to build the Aquilon. When it was finished, it looked nothing at all like either Maria Isabella or the butcher's boy had imagined. The kite was huge and looked like a star, but those who saw it could not agree on how best to describe the marvelous conveyance. After he helped strap her in, the butcher's boy stood back and looked at the woman he had grown old with. This is certainly no time for tears, Maria Isabella reprimanded him gently as she gestured for him to release the kite. No, there is time for everything, the butcher's boy whispered to himself as he pushed and pulled at the ropes and strings, pulleys and levers and gears of the impossible contrivance. Goodbye! 
she shouted down to him as the star kite began its rapid ascent to the speckled firmament above. Goodbye. Goodbye, he whispered, as his heart finally broke into a thousand mismatched pieces, each one small, hard, and sharp. The tears of the butcher's boy, who had long since ceased to be a boy, flowed freely down his face as he watched her rise. The extraordinary old woman he had always loved, strapped to the frame of an impossible kite. As she rose, he sighed and reflected on the absurdity of life, the heaviness of loss, the cruelty of hope, the truth about quests, and the relentless nature of a love that knew only one direction. His hands swiftly played out the tether, that part of the marvelous rope they had bargained for with two riddles, a blind rooster and a handful of cold and lusterless diamante, in a bazaar held only once every seven years on an island in the Dagat Palabras Tacitas. And he realized that all those years they were together, she had never known his name. As she rose above the city of her birth, Maria Isabella took a moment to gasp at the immensity of the city that sprawled beneath her, recalled how everything had begun, fought the trembling of her withered hands, and with a fishbone knife, that sad and strange knife which had been passed from hand to hand, from women consumed by unearthly passion, the same knife which had been part of her reward for solving the mystery of the Raja Sumibon's lost turtle shell in the southern lands of the Dia Aldin, cut the glimmering tether. Up, 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 higher and higher and higher she rose. She saw the winding silver ribbon of the Pasigla, the fluted ruse of Lu Ecolia Duarcana Menor y Mayor the trellises and gardens of the Plaza Imperial, and the dimmed streets of the Mercado do Coristas. And Maria Isabella looked down and thought she saw everything. At one exquisite interval during her ascent, Maria Isabella thought she spied the precise tower where Lorenzo Duvesenzio y Salvadore, the stargazer, must live and work. She felt the exuberant joy of her lost youth bubble up within her and mix with the fiery spark of love she had kept alive for 60 years. And in a glorious blaze of irrepressible happiness, she waved her free hand with wild abandon, shouting the name that had been forever etched into her heart. When a powerful wind took the kite to sudden new heights, when Ciudad Mayora and everything below her vanished in the dark, she stopped shouting and began to laugh and laugh and laugh. And Maria Isabella Dulcielo looked up at the beginning of forever 
and thought of nothing, nothing at all. And in the city below, in one of the high rooms of the silent Torre du Astronomos, where those who had served with distinction were housed and honored, an old man, long retired and plagued by cataracts, sighed in his sleep and dreamed a dream of unnamed stars. This has got to be one of my favorite stories that I've read on the podcast so far, and it really feels appropriate to end our season four with the kite of stars. I, yes, it, 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 you know it's a, it's a story of unrequited love, um, but it's an also it's also a, a story of the power of perseverance for me, and and the fact that that Maria Isabella and the Butcher's Boy actually pulled it off. They got the the impossible list done. They did, they did the impossible, right? I remember when um when I was younger I I I used to, you know, do all kinds of things to um I guess test the limits of what I thought was possible for myself. Things like skydiving and um uh firewalking and 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 going to challenge courses and and I, I mean I, I the week end after I got the news that I had won the role of Geordie LaForge in, in Star Trek, I found myself in, in uh, outside of Oklahoma City at, um, at a challenge course. Um, and one of the elements on this ropes course, uh, there were low elements that were, as described, lower to the ground. And then there were the high elements. And one of the high elements was what they call a pamper pole. And the pamper pole is basically a, a 30-foot tall phone pole, telephone pole. And on top of the pole is a platform, 12 by 12 square. And there are, you know, the, the, the spikes on the side that you use to climb up the pole. Now, you're in a harness, right? You're in a harness, and, and the harness is connected to a pulley system. And so you are safe, should you fall, you will be lowered gently to the ground. But the idea is to uh, climb the pole, maneuver your way up on top of the platform, and then orient yourself so that across from you, directly across from you, about eight to 10 feet away, is a trapeze bar. Once you've achieved the top of the platform, the goal is to leap out literally into the void, grab the trapeze bar, and then they lower you safely to the ground, and then you celebrate because that, trust and believe, is no small feat. So I did it in the morning, the pamper pole, successfully, and I was ecstatic. And then after lunch, the leader of the ropes course challenged me that as I was about to play a blind man, that maybe I would enjoy doing the pamper pole with a blindfold on. And I thought, the fuck? Are you kidding me? And, and, and what she said to me, I will never, ever forget. She said, you were successful this morning. Just know that that memory lives in your body. And so I was encouraged 
and emboldened. And damn it, if I didn't climb that pole and, rem- and, and, and allow my body to take over and remember how through all of my terror, I got my feet up on top of that 12 by 12 platform. And then I allowed my body to guide me through orienting myself and then taking that leap. And I, I leapt to the point where I overshot the trapeze bar just a little. And so I hit it first with my wrist. And as my hand slid down, I grabbed with my fingers. And it was the most amazing moment of my life because I had done what I was certain. Had you told me in the morning before I had done it the first time, you're going to do this today with a blindfold on and you will be successful. I'd have said, you're fucking out of your mind. But that's the nature of what it means to push our boundaries, to discover what we're really made of, to push ourselves beyond our perceived limitations until we actually discover where it is inside of us that the rubber meets the road. Those kinds of experiences are invaluable, I believe, as, as, we, as we grow along on our journey. And it's stories like these that remind me of the sweetness of that trip. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Marie Smith. She's the best in the business, y'all, with an assist from the very lovely and talented Kristen Torres. Our editing and sound design by Brendan Burns. Who knew the kid had this much talent? And my undying thanks to Dean Francis Alfar for allowing me to read his story. You can find it published as part of an ebook entitled The Kite of Stars and Other Stories. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, Please recommend an episode to a friend who you think would enjoy it. You can also leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcast and include a story suggestion for us. We read them, we use them, we put them on the air. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon and yours truly, LeVar Burton. I'm LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. I'll see you next time. But you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. 
They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.